Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been at the Black Country Blokes, chewing the fat about everything that is mental health, disability and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Cabin. And today we're joined by Dr. Steve Mann, who's a GP, he's been a GP for about 30 years, Doc? 31 years, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this episode we're going to be talking about everything that is men's health, men's mental health, health in general, Movember, and anything else that you guys want us to talk about. So please be a part of the conversation. But we're going to start the show as we always do with our gratitude list. And we've been pulling me air out because uh, my boxer, Osman Mohammed, who's boxed for England in the world, he's just been on, he's just won, he's just won on a unanimous decision, so I'm over the moon. But I was so grateful. <laughs> it was in between the lesson, Doc, get in here and... Uh, it's brilliant one they were just watching perfect timing perfect timing when i come in i think we're gonna get that did i i thought he's gonna land at the wrong time but yeah perfect timing box really well you know he stuck to his boxing against uh, a lad from latvia who come in but stuck to his boxing and then that first one's out the way because if anyone's ever boxed especially in boxing tournaments it's that first one you don't want to go out on the first one which is no shame in someone's got to do it but you don't want to lose on that first day do you because yeah. you know you want to progress and whether you come home with a medal don't come home with a medal but get that first one away and it'll get better and better now what are you grateful for bro dudley talking therapies oh yeah yeah um i mentioned on the show a few weeks ago now that i'd um self-assessed myself to do mm. that's not the right word self-referred myself um i the final they got back to me this week and i've got an appointment next week she's fantastic mm-hmm. and i think it's great that you can just go online now you know, we don't have we don't have to bother you doctors to 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 do it. We can just go online, self refer, and someone will phone. Yeah, you go through a few questions, and I suppose they assess the urgency of the situation, then and point you in the right direction. Or actually, she gave me three options at the time, and I think one was um, what I've chosen, which is therapy face to face. There was another option of doing online, and there was one more. I can't think of it now. But anyway, they've they got in touch last week and my appointment it would have been actually monday but i couldn't make monday so it's the end of next week which is fantastic we can do that yeah totally talking therapy is great and it's um run by dudley integrated health and care i don't know if you went through that route to get to them yes but if you go to put dihc into google you'll find dudley talking therapies you're right you can refer through to uh they, they usually get back to you within days and the, then they i assess think my initial you. call the initial assessment call was within a day yeah. And then obviously you're just waiting. They'll give me three options and then you wait for the one that you've chose, I suppose. And I'll, I think mine took slightly longer because it, I wanted face-to-face. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So I think us blokes do want face-to-face because mm-hmm. uh, I know they offer they will offer groups. And I often find that some groups work well for some people, but I think blokes, we tend to be a bit more, a bit more we're more sensitive than people think we are, I think. Yeah. So we prefer to, to, to work individually. And the... The online um, silver cloud is the so online good. CBT. That's, that was it. Yeah. A lot of patients find that really good because they can then fit that around what else they're doing. See, I've thought of it the other way because I'm quite a busy person with running my own business, looking after my daughter, doing podcasts and radio. And I thought that would just stress me out more that I think I've got to go and kind mm. of 
complete this course, complete this yeah. thing. Whereas having one meeting and turning up for that seemed easier. But yeah. it's each their own, isn't it? I think it's about knowing yourself, isn't it? Yeah. What your preferences are. I mean, I think some things aren't negotiable. So if you think of Alcoholics Anonymous, their whole theory is around a group and a team supporting, and that's great. But it doesn't fit for everybody for every mental illness, and that's why I think having that selection from you know, in Dudley is great. Yeah. I, as far as I'm aware, I don't know whereabouts else in the country it's like that, but uh, being able to refer yourself, I mean, quite often patients will phone the surgery and we'll phone them back or even send them a text saying, have you tried this? And uh, Well, I I'm, went through the route of doctor, um, was it 2000, end of 2018, 19? Um, and the only reason it went that way is because I went to doctors about something else. I can't even remember mm. now. And, I, and it was a, at the time where my daughter had been seriously ill or just after. So I kind of thought I'd handled that and got over it. But actually, I'd just buried it to look after mm. my daughter. And I, I went into a doctor for something. I can't even remember. and broke down in the doctors and he referred me. Um, I didn't feel at that point this time to to go and bother a doctor to be quite honest but uh, but kev actually pointed out they're all struggling and said you needed to get sort yeah. yourself out sort something out some help out not sort yourself out <laughs> um so yeah and i did find it I, I think for me as well i wouldn't have phoned the doctor whereas getting online and not having to contact someone not or see someone face to face i found easier i think you're absolutely right and i think a lot of, a lot of healthcare, you know i think if you talk to people they often think of a hospital or they think of their gp and actually, I think the way healthcare is going, with all the stresses on the NHS, restrictions in staff, funding and all the rest, actually helping patients self-manage is really important because there are lots of things we can do for ourselves which are, you know, as good. And actually, that's that's brilliant. That's a great example of, you know, you've managed yourself and actually the benefits to you of getting the help you need without having to wait to see a doctor or speak to a nurse or come to the surgery is brilliant. And I think... Mm-hmm that's the way we should be going as a country really and you know, encourage people not just that mental health but physical health as well looking at how you manage your own health so then you know you don't need to, to access the nhs because as it is it's kind of um got more than enough work to do already what are you uh, what are you grateful for this week doc sorry what are you grateful for yeah, this we've week? kind of gone off on well, grateful for this week <laughs> we always do um what am i grateful for this week let me think um I'm, well, on a personal note, I'm, always, I'm grateful. I'm happy and well, and my COVID test was negative, means I go to work. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one thing. Um, on a sort of on a wider level, that's a, a really really good question. I think it's a good way to reflect about you know where you are and what you're doing. Um, grateful for this week. I'll tell you what I'm grateful. I, I thought the weather's great. Weekend lovely weather you could it could have been late september and i think the weather was 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 a lovely thing to have and actually it didn't feel like november didn't feel like it's nearly christmas so no same, weather exactly was great. same to my wife it just yeah you don't expect that kind of weather in november yeah. it was it's fan- fantastic you can get out and, and not be yeah. shivering or wet or i mean to come down a bit today but <laughs> you can't have it all the no, time we need a bit of rain yeah. <laughs> isn't it funny like when you think great for one grateful you go my health yeah a nice weather um, let's quite frankly, they're two major things, aren't they? Absolutely. For someone who's always pooly myself, and you're thinking, you know, you know, when we're pooly, you go, oh, I've never felt this bad. Oh, I think I'm dying. And you, we, we, we acknowledge it when we're pooly, and sometimes we don't go. You know what? I feel bloody brilliant today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and do. I, I feel that well. I'm going to do something. Yeah. We go. Oh well, I feel great, but I'm just going to sit here on the telly. I'm going to scroll on my phone. And it's being self-aware, isn't he? 
Yeah. Thinking, you know what? I am feeling all right today. I'm not, sometimes I'm not even feeling 100%, but I'm well enough to get up and do something, be an adventure with your family, contacting a friend, whatever it is, make the time when you're okay to do something positive. Yeah. Now, actually, you reminded me, went for a lovely walk on Sunday afternoon back over the top end of Northern, mm. over towards Hagley. Just nice. You know, we said, oh, great. Let's go out for a walk because, you know, it's, it's, you're right. Actually, take that time just to think, just to do the simple things. Well, in the lockdown, me, my wife and uh, my daughter, because we couldn't do much, you go on your walks and you go to Kimberedge, you go mm. to Himley. There's a field by my house in Kings, Winford, and uh, we're over the railroad tracks. And ja Jasmine, my daughter, hated it. She was there. And then by the end, we're enjoying it because we're seeing nature waking up or mm. we're seeing nature falling asleep or we see a birdie or a squirrel. And then once the doors open and the, we're back in the rat race, you don't do it anymore. No. It has to be expensive days out or it has to be grand days out mm. or it just, and you're thinking, it doesn't matter if it's a bit wet or a bit cloudy or a bit muddy, let's just get out, have a bit of fresh air, a bit of exercise and, wow, I've been here all my life and I've never, I've never noticed that tree yeah. or, or the flowers are in bloom or, oh, look, there's a, a squirrel. Yeah. And that that's nature, the purest. And we're so lucky where we live, aren't we, around here? Yeah. The, We've got Greenbelt over there. We've got the woods over there. We've got the canal over there. And we've got it all in front of us, but we don't do it. No. No, I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, I love it in the in these sort of early evening, probably in the summer, it's a bit warmer, where all the birds, you can hear them just quietening mm. down. The world's just going to sleep, and it's just a, a relaxing, nice time, and it's warm, and the sun's going down. I think you're absolutely right. And you're right. I mean, I was people away from the black country don't know where Starbridge is. So if I'm down south somewhere so well if you get to birmingham turn left when you <laughs> see green belt that's where we are and that's the edge of the black country and people sort of get it because you think of us obviously the industrial revolution and the factories and there are loads of factories around here i know we're very built up but everywhere around it is a cut hmm. a canal there is a bit of like you know you'd have to um the iron mason be cooling it down or loading it up on the canal and hmm. the canal's cutting through and then you've got the woods and we've got the best of both worlds, I think, right here. Yeah. You know, and we're so lucky to have it because we're not a concrete jungle. No. So once we could only have an hour's exercise every day, it was, come on, bab, let's go for a walk. And in that hour, without driving, we could nip somewhere, you know, have a bit of fresh air. So, you know, I'm grateful for that. But I, I mean, I'm grateful for you being a doctor. I'm grateful yeah. for all the NHS. I mean, it's, it seems like forever since the madness of covid and we were all there going uh, on our Thursday nights clapping and smacking mm. tins and we love you nhs and we were all doing the rainbows and thank you thank you and all of a sudden the nurses the doctors the cleaners are having to pay for the parking again they can't do this the nurses are going to strike because how terrible they've been treated these brave bookers were going off with no PPE like yourself, like the cleaners, like the good, you know, all these people around the NHS who were that brave when it was the Black Death, you know, when it was, we were watching on TV, people falling over and dying, and we're going, we will do it, we will turn up, you know, we will do our jobs. And at the, at the main, and then all of a sudden, well, unless you've had your injections, you're going to get fired, you go, well, hang on, we, we've, we've battled in the trenches when we thought it was the death and we were willing to die, we weren't willing to not see our families and now you're treating us so appallingly. And I find it so bad that so many brave people were treated so badly 
after the fact, during the fact, but especially after the fact. How was it for you when you when you were there being? Um, I I was lucky I didn't get ill. Mm. I think I had COVID early on, and I suppose I'm just lucky I didn't get very unwell with it. So from that point of view, once I'd had COVID once, and once I had my first vaccination, I was kind of a bit more laid back about it. Mm. Um, I think you have to take your hats. I mean, you know, we were kind of in an easier place. So I think you know the staff in hospitals, you know, mm. in ITUs. I mean, that it, it just looked harrowing. You know, and I think so. I think there's there's that side of it. I mean, the people really in the firing line, in the hospitals, um, you know, your intensive care, can, you know, staff, whether it, they're, whether they're doctors, nurses, cleaners, providing food, doing whatever, that must have been grim. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and then, like, like I said, I think the vaccine came along. You start to look, things got more more positive from there. I'm sad that people feel badly by the NHS. You know, I'm sad that people feel they need to go on strike. Really. Um, I think we've got a unique set of circumstances with cost of living, um, you know, inflation and the workload in the NHS. And I think, well, let's be fair, they haven't gone on strike yet, have they? No. no. And I, I, do, I do hope it's a negotiating position that can be worked back from because at the end of the day, as a country, you know, we're the fifth biggest economy in the world. We shouldn't have seven million people on waiting lists and we shouldn't have medical staff going on strike. And it's, it's a privilege working for the NHS, quite frankly um and i hope we can hope we you know let's hope that doesn't happen would be my my personal view i personally you know wouldn't want to go on strike yeah. because like i said the, the nhs is is bigger than any of us really yeah. um i think the frustration is i mean personal view is i think there's enough money in the nhs i just don't think we're quite spending it wisely yeah. enough i you think know. that's the common feeling of it yeah. we can we can keep throwing coal uh, coal into the fire you know, mm. let's just manage it a bit better. Mm. You know what I mean? Because well, the rich will always get rich, the poor will always, you know what I mean? But then there's that massive void. Yeah. But I think the people who get in the anyone who works with NHS, be it the volunteers who are passing the coffers mm. around, are good, caring people. Yeah. But I think like with all organizations, is we've got to treat them better, less agencies and giving people stability. Mm. So if we do get sick, if we do, let's look after the people better. A happy worker is a better worker. I think you're spot on. I think this may not be about money. I think, you know, at the end of the day, most, in my experience, you know, of employing staff over 30 odd years, on the whole, most people don't leave for money. They leave because they're unhappy about other stuff. And maybe it is about that value people feel they get from their job, the satisfaction they get from their job, the appreciation they get, the teamwork. I mean, I think, you know, teamwork is really important. And I think, uh, you know, at DIHC, you know, I do, Three, you know, two days, two to three days of my practice, and two days of the integrated health and care. Very high on our agenda is, you know, we want to be seen as the employer of choice. I think probably, you know, with all the things, I mean, I think the politics, politics behind the NHS and the finances maybe drive some of the behaviours that mean these people are unhappy. And maybe it's, you know, because you can't buy everything with, you know, you can't buy people with money. But what you can do is motivate them by doing the right things, and that's what we're trying to do here in Dudley, and that's. You know, you know, that's what you try and do in any organisation. I, I suspect that's been lost a bit through the pandemic. I mean, in your 31 years, I bet mm. you've seen dramatic changes, haven't you, in, in how we treat patients, how, uh, how it's just changed. I mean, mm. who would have thought in anyone's lifetime would have had the pandemic? Yeah. But in general, from when was it the 90s to mm. the 2000s and 20s now, what major changes have changed? And why did you become a doctor? Um, 
I became, I don't know why I became a doctor. Well, I became a doctor because I thought I wanted to, I wanted to do it. It wasn't like I had a burning desire or, you know, road to Damascus, that's what I wanted to do. I just enjoyed those subjects at school. I liked the idea of being a doctor. I mean, my contact with medicine had been very limited. I haven't got any doctors in the family. Um, so I was the first person to do it. And I just think, you know, we had some friends who are doctors. And I think I just saw the difference they could make. I think it's about making difference, isn't it? So I think that was the way I'd go along. I wouldn't say I was an evangelical, I must be a doctor. I just thought these are topics I enjoy. Um, I suppose I'm comfy talking to people. So I think, I think with a, you know, with a doctor, you've got to have a degree of communication skills and, you know, that that's important. Um, I think that's a very over underlooked skill of being a doctor mm. because you've got someone Eld, elderly, young mm. man, woman, different, and you've got to allow someone to go. I'm ill, or I'm vulnerable, or I've got, I don't show these parts to everybody. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's a, a true skill, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, and when I went to medical school, we did some training in it. Now, medical students do a lot more than we ever did. Um, so I think that's a good thing because you're right. I mean, you know, you, you, a doctor's involved with peaks of someone's lives mm. and also the depths of their lives. Aren't you know, you, you're there when great things are happening. You're there when the worst things are happening. So you've got to have, you know, communication is probably key. And I think I've got an uncle, bless him, um, who's a professor of physics. And he says, I don't understand why we take all the intelligent people and let you be doctors when you'd be better engineers and physicists. He said, because <laughs> your brains are good. And I think, and I kind of think he's got, got a, a point in that. Because there is, you, you need a degree of intelligence, but also you need that compassion and, you know, talk to people and get it right wherever you can, really. I think like in Lee's scenario, you go about having a bad back mm. and then you come out realizing you're having a breakdown yeah. and it's having that person who can see the mask coming down going you you've oh so you've just come in for your bad back have you mm. you sure tell me more about how have you and then next thing you know floods of tears because yeah. most of us we make an appointment for a doctor no 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 i'm feeling better now you know i'm more so how many, how many times we have to make an appointment to cancel an appointment to actually get there and then you go, I, I'm going to tell them this time. I'm going to tell them I'm suicidal. I'm going to tell them I'm, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, my back's gone again. We bottle it at the last moment. Yeah, particularly and, as blokes. As, we do, don't yeah. we? You know, and sometimes like, you make an appointment and um, you want to go, you want to go, you want to go, you want to go. And you're thinking, it's that element of sheer vulnerability hmm. and uh, realising I'm not bulletproof. And that uh, uh, Del Boy on the... I don't like go to the doctor because every time I go, it tells me I'm sick. And like sometimes, if I go about my testicles, if I go about my urine, everybody if they tell me I've got the big C. Mm. And, and you know what I mean? It's like, would I rather die in ignorance? But no, if we get it early enough. You'd be a good GP can... if you diagnosed uh, cancer just by that, though, Kev. No, but, on, <laughs> but you know, but, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's some other tests involved. <laughs> <laughs> but on anything, you need that first step yeah, to get do. to the next step. Yeah. And I think it's the first step's the scariest one, isn't it? I think, as with a lot of things, I think you're, you're you're right. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, we talk about people having to think of the hidden agenda. They come, they come, and they come, and they come. And in the end, the problem is put on the table. I think you know that's not an unusual situation. I think you, it, it's more common in blokes. I think that um, ladies tend to have better social networks than us. Mm. I mean, you'll find ladies will share problems and discuss problems much more openly with their friendship group, whereas us blokes don't. And I think it, it probably is, you know. We want to be seen to be strong. Maybe it's a weakness. It's a weakness that sometimes will bite you on the bum. I think uh, most of the time it does, doesn't yeah. it? Um, 
well, we've both been in a situation where we've been trying to be strong, and ultimately it is it's a, it does turn it to a weakness because mm. you, you're not getting help, and you you know, and that can be whether it's um, a mental health condition or a physical health yeah. condition. You know, the longer you leave these things, the more they fester, yeah. and the worse they get. Well, I remember having a testicle infection, and my testicle keeps swelling, swelling. It's hurting to your own, and then I, I went to the doctors and had some tablets, and it didn't work, and it's well, well, well. And I remember going London City, thinking I was going to die. I just went. I was living at uh, at the top of my parents' car. I went there to die, basically. One was from the hospital, and the blood had gone from a test, uh, the infection got from a test into my blood, and I thought I was going to die. Because you leave it too long, it'll be all right. Mm-hmm. I've been to the doctors, give me these tablets, and I'll be all right. Or I'll be all right. Instead of thinking, no, I'm not all right, go back to see him. Yeah. Go back in and think, it'll sort itself out. And how many people must have lost their lives, limbs, bits and bobs? It'll be all right. Mm. It'll sort itself out. And sometimes it doesn't, and you need yeah. that professional, don't you? Yeah. I, I, I think it's knowing when to ask that question, isn't it? Because I think the reality is a lot of things get better with time. Mm. Um, and that's a really difficult, I often say to patients, it's really, really difficult to do nothing. They come in with a group of symptoms, you examine them, you look at them, you go, I just don't think it's anything serious here. You know, we've got to sit and watch and wait. And I think that's the, that's a very difficult time for a doctor. It's a difficult time for the patient as well. well that, you don't want to hear that. If you're yeah. going as a patient, you yeah. want you want this person to give you the magic pill that kills yeah. you, don't you? And ultimately, sometimes there's not that pill. It is just about well, rest yeah. and recouping. Yeah. And time, you know, I often say to patients, you know, I can't write time on a prescription, but, but this will get better. You know, not, there are lots of illnesses where you say, well, actually, this is going to pass. But I can tell you it's nothing serious. And I, I must say it many times a week, often say to patients, you know, I can tell you what it isn't, and that's the important thing. Mm. But I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you it's not going to be serious. Well, we had um, Vicky on, who's a dietitian, and uh, she was saying about like how some conditions went away in furlough, like your oh. IBS, because all my tummy's better. And oh. it's now I've taken work at the situation. I've taken my work colleagues at the situation. I've taken the commute at the situation. Oh. Why's it been a lot better? Mm. Yeah. The modern day stresses of 24-hour, you know, so I, can get, like, I, I always talk about this. When you have the house phone, people wouldn't phone you after 8 o'clock because mm-hmm. it's your family time. But someone will send you an email at half past 2 in the morning or a WhatsApp or a Facebook, and you're thinking, you're, no time is sacred. You're mm-hmm. available at any time of the day. And work, you know, it used to be a five-man job. We've got rid of two people. Now it's a three-man job, three people in the office, but you're still doing a five-person job. And they put so much stress on people. And I don't want to leave in case I don't get another job. I'm struggling to eat. And these, these emotional stress and these financial stresses, these are drowning some people, aren't well, they? I think, I think you know, we talk about digital holidays, don't we? You just turn your phone off. And mm. I must confess, I, when I go on annual leave now, I tend to um, not answer any work emails. Just, I just said I'm not going to do them because I have been in a situation where you do, you flick your phone and you start looking. And, and it's quite nice to do that. And, um, couple of years ago on holiday with the kids when well, I said kids they're in their mid-20s now I nicked all their phones and put them in a drawer and wouldn't let them have them for a day mm-hmm. and to begin with everyone was like <laughs> agitated where's my phone and by the end of the day they're going this is quite nice mm-hmm. we, we have to talk to each other and we have to go to the bar and buy a beer or whatever we're doing you know and everything becomes more interesting because you haven't got you're not glued to your glued to your phone and um you know a, a mental health issues often as you know they often say tone down your social media turn your phone off at night because it isn't pinging or lighting up. That's exactly what I do. I'll come yeah. off social media because I know, yep, 
you can get in that rabbit hole of just standing mm. it and it's just wasted time it's yeah. absolutely wasted time there is reasons i still have to use it for my business so i'll set up different accounts that is mm. just for the purpose of doing that yeah. so i know if i go on there it's to post something about my business not to sit there scrolling through and and yeah just it's not productive and and uh and it, I don't think it, not only is it not productive, it's not resting either. No. So it's not like you you chilled out doing it. So yeah, it's yeah as much as much as I say, I've just come off it on that and just use it for the business side of things or for the for the black country blokes. And I do I feel better for doing that. Yeah. Feel better for putting it down and going right because because the situation my daughter as well. It's very rare I turn my phone off. Very the only time I really do it, we have a caravan in Wales where we all go and we're all together apart from that really i don't turn it off because if i'm not with them then there could be a call coming that's emergency that i yeah. miss because i turn it off and that scares me more than actually having you know uh, turn it off or if or if they're out and about and they can't get hold of me and all that so but yeah I, I, when we are down the caravan and we're all together and i don't have to worry about phone it is it but it does take two hours to think of something else to do because Ooh. you're that used to having a phone in your hand yeah. you're that used to being it but do you do you, do you think you're going to see more a, a bigger rise in people coming to you about mental health problems because of the technology they're dealing with i think that's i mean i think it's the thing technology as it stands now is that you can things are instant aren't they the feedback mm. is instant the criticism is instant so I, th I think they undoubtedly and we've seen a lot in the press certainly you know the, the social media does contribute to to mental illness i think no problem at all mm. um it's very clear cut you know and I think also because you can fire away immediately, I think people are probably more unkind. You know? yeah, yeah. You know, and it's an interesting, as I saw in the press, poor Mac Hancock has uh, got himself on, to, on a celebrity. Mm. And of course, everyone's voting to make him do things. And uh, one of, another journalist in one of, one of the papers was saying, well, you know, this isn't just fun. You know, making, my, making him do things that are unpleasant. It's actually beyond that. It, it's fun maybe once, but, if he's just going to be victimised all the way through his program, well, what's the point? Mm. And, and uh, so I think I think it doesn't help. No, nah. it's always it a double-edged sword because, like, yeah. like I said earlier, I managed to go online and just self-refer myself. Mm. It's fantastic. So it's always the the two sides of it, isn't there? And but you've just got to make sure that one doesn't start out balancing the other, or if it does, at least it's the good side. You know, it needs to. But you're right; people can just comment and just say what they want, and there's no consequences to it. Or no. getting banned, well, if you if you and that's it in an extreme situation you get banned yeah. and if that does happen you can set a new account up within seconds yeah. on a different email and you're, I you're think, off I again. Think kids in school is often the problem problem mm. area you know I, you know i think in, in the past you know 30 years ago bullying would be visible mm. or be name calling or whatever and the teacher could see it and peer groups could see it whereas now it's very very personal isn't it and you don't know and i yeah. think that and never ending isn't it as yeah. well like, and there's, there's no, no escape there's no it. stop at the end of school no, you can't I, go I to your home it's definitely a problem mm. have you seen a, a massive jump in that like in the 30 years mm -hmm. you know i mean like i say i can't remember being anxious about school i can't you know mm -hmm. you know you wear tinted glasses and all that but i bet you have so many more even like primary school children coming and saying i'm having panic attacks and mm -hmm. anxiety attacks and yeah i think I think there's two things, aren't there? We've got the social media and society we live in. I think also there's a degree, I mean, one of the things that I think is challenging is when parents come in saying the child's got a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think yeah. that's really difficult for a child to hear your parents saying you've got a problem. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I don't, 
I always look at school. I would say the kids come to me in you know, schools days were were the best days, you know. Um, and, I, and I think so. I think there's a degree where people will say, you know, my child's depressed. And I, you know, and actually talk, they're not depressed. They may be unhappy. Yeah, a bit down, a bit yeah. sad. The hamster's but, but died. They're, or... they're, they're not depressed. And you know, I had uh, you know a child recently who's mum. You know, he's seven years old. Mum saying he's happy one day and a bit sad the next. Is he bipolar? And I said, no, I don't. I don't really think he is. I think he's a six or seven year old who's having the ups and downs that six and seven year olds have. Um, and actually, so, and I think not just with kids and mental health. But I think a lot of things in healthcare are we've almost lost the perspective of where normal is anymore. Mm. Same as we have with the social media. You know, where's normal now? Mm. And actually, uh, and so I think that gets quite difficult for people. And they, you know, they want to fix or appeal to fix all ills, and there, there often isn't. So about to how do we give people time to get better and have the confidence to get better? Because that then breeds resilience for, for your future life, doesn't it? It's the double-edged sword again, isn't it, with mm. mental health? Obviously, we're raising more awareness, hence mm. the podcast and, and loads of other people raising that awareness. But now there's people who are getting confused between being depressed and being mm. sad, so you're getting that other side yeah. of it where... And I suppose you can you can talk yourself into a depression as well, mm. can't you? And it's you also keep very contagious. Yeah. You know, if you're around it all the time, you see someone's nerves. But I think it's when we overuse words. Yeah. There's like I I was having recently terrible migraines and and they did it felt like someone was gouging out my eye and mm. I had pains it and then someone has a headache and you have like, oh I've got a migraine or I'm British being blind. They go, well, I'm blind without my glasses. Go, no, you've you just not wearing your glasses, or yeah. I'm depressed. You're sad. You're, you're down in the dumps. Yeah, I'm anxious. You've got exams, or I always said, nerves have pushed me through life. You know, mm. the deep breath, step forward. Anxiety. When I have an anxiety, it's crippling. I feel like I'm having a stroke, and mm. it's known the difference between I'm nervous. Yeah, to I'm in a state of I think I'm having. Oh, I'm gonna have a heart attack, and it's not more. We overuse words. Yes, you take away the words, don't you? Yeah. Do you agree with that? And I think, I, I like think education you, of words. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, if you, you you desensitize yourself to that, don't you? I mean, and that's what happens. If you use a thing repeatedly, you become less sensitive to that stimulus. Mm. And that I think I think you're right from that perspective. You know, anxiety is normal. Mm. You know, I might get an ill patient, I might be a bit anxious about it. Mm. When that's a problem is when you get panic attacks, etc. And, and there's, it's really interesting. You look at people you know, with people doing a, a task for which they're, they're reasonably well-trained, a little bit of anxiety improves your performance. Mm. When you get to, to the level of panic, it destroys your performance. Mm. And it's that subtle difference, isn't it? And um, you're right, because panic attacks are over, you know, they are overwhelming because they control everything that's going to happen. And like I said, I think that that's where you come back to your, your you know, your mental health counselling, etc. Because medication actually won't cure panic attacks it'll help you manage the symptoms at the time the long-term solution what i say is one of your tools in your toolbox for life is how can i manage panic attack how can i because actually i was you know once you can put that panic back in the box the feeling you get from that is great but it takes time to learn how to do that and i often say people you know so medication won't cure your panic attacks that's where your counseling therapy cbc whatever else comes in and then once you've got that skill like any other skill keep practicing it like you're boxing you know and I, I think that's the thing a lot of people forget whether it's people with a bad back where they go and see the physio they have some physio they have some exercises and then a year later come back 
with their bad back and you say if you've been doing exercise oh no i'll stop doing them stop once you stop hurting yeah and I, so I, I think so i think you know so i think you know i really think you're going back to your deadly talking therapies brilliant but keep practicing it yeah. and the same with physical things if you've got a skill you practice it whether you're tiger woods or, or you know or you're andy murray you practice your skills and, that, and the same play, applies for mental health and physical health and sometimes you've got to practice the things that you're not good at to get yeah. better at them if you're naturally good at it then you haven't got to practice that as much unless you want to excel at it yeah but it's the things that we struggle with that we have to work on that's right and you tend to gravitate to what you're good at because yeah. you like you know if, you, if you're great at art you'll tend to keep doing that because you're great at it and you're right you need to look at where where there is a weakness that i can use to to build on to actually you know com complete my toolbox and what i've learned with nlp and different mm. things is when i start becoming aware of negative thoughts and sad thoughts and depressive thoughts and so it's in like, like i said like about my um my earworm i start hearing you know because i'm very auditory i love music mm. and i start thinking oh like her by johnny cash or i hear songs mm. and stuff thinking, all right then stop change the record think something positive now yeah do something positive and it's but they're the tools you learn mm. aren't they if you're aware thinking well, i'm not good at this or why does this keep happening my friend said to me you know if you've got you've got two choices make changes or make excuses i can even make the excuses everyone else or make changes of how can i get over this how can i get better at it yeah. how can i stop this from happening again yeah and i think once we can do that i know i think we've got to break the stigma of getting counseling or nlp or whatever it is because you'll pay for personal training you'll pay for a dietitian you'll pay for all these wonderful things come pay someone to try and help you to figure out your head yeah and i think if we could start doing that at a primary school level and getting people to be well why are you crying why are you hitting why are you wetting yourself why are you figure out then then hopefully we'll grow up into being happier better people and not being frightened to yeah. talking about our feelings i think you're right i think talking about your feelings is important isn't it i think the the challenge is it's always that perspective um one of the things i always wince at is when there's some sort of tragedy and you know whatever it might be in a ch children's school and it, it can take all forms when they say all the children are having counseling mm. and actually if you look at it if you have a trauma it, 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 adults but particularly with kids if you have a trauma if you keep reenacting that trauma mm. keep reminding them of it actually imprint it and so actually what the best way to manage it probably in most cases say let's see how things go let's observe and help those who need the help because kids are remarkable i always amazed how resilient kids mm. are you know we think how little life they've had how amazed that they're, they're amazing mm. amazing resilience and actually pick up the ones who need the help but don't you know you don't need to, to to go for everybody and there's a lot of research psychological research say that if you replay that initial trauma you actually risk actually making it prolong for more of them and, and you know there, and there will be some kids who have a real problem and those way you want to focus your resource but that's very difficult so when they say something happened and then the headmaster or headmistress says we are we've got some kids come to school i always go oh, well let the kids have a bit of time to process it because we all process grief and difficulty in different ways and kids like i said i think you know we always think kids are really vulnerable and they are in some ways but in other ways they're much more they're much stronger than we are mm -hmm. you know kids don't kids on the whole you know they don't have heart attacks they don't have strokes they don't have the physical things that we get as we get older so as little people they're really tough 
and um, you know, I think they don't have the baggage either, do they? No. So look, we carry a lot of that around. Yeah. So when something else happens, it just it could just be that one thing that yeah. pushes you over the edge. Yeah. Whereas hopefully, majority of kill children are not at that point already, yeah. and that won't push them over the yeah. edge. So it's yeah. So, so with kids, right. I think sometimes we over going back to the conversation ten minutes ago. Sometimes we over imprint on the children some of our own feelings. You know, yeah. it may be loss of a loved one for one of us. If if that happened near to us in the workplace we start thinking about our grandmother or our grandfather or our mother or a friend. What do you say? A child hasn't had that experience. Naturally, my experience is often that kids are really, really practical about some of these really difficult things. And I think that with the beauty of them is everything that you said here. And it's, they're beautiful, aren't they? And I've, yeah. as I said, the, the courage of them, how they deal with it mm. is amazing. And I think we've got to be there to support them. And yeah. I bet it's, for yourself, I mean, I was a poorly child. I had many jobs to stop me. Always, you got your poorly daughter, and I bet when you're seeing the children coming in there, it is remarkable how how these brave little souls mm. can handle even the worst news. Yeah, and it, it, it's almost sometimes they have to comfort the parents. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I think that often runs with a lot of illness. That the per, I would say to, to families and patients, the person in the eye of the storm actually. Mm they got to deal with it and they mm. deal with it and whether they're a child an adult whatever they're often you know they're inspiring um and I, actually it's us around them mm. who are sitting there saying what what, what do i do or mm. where do i go with this and so often you, you know you do find that you know the first thing i the storm is really strong it's the ripples around mm. them are where i can relate that to my daughter because my daughter's not aware of it to be quite honest mm. but i certainly am my wife certainly is and um, yeah, I think you do. You, you, yeah, you do. And I think the thing is with me, you, I can't help her. Mm. I can help. You know, if she's ill and she's down, I'm not. Mm. I'm not a doctor. I don't, don't do any of that. I can. I can support her, but I can't. There's not a magic pill I can give her no. that solves the problem. And I think that's a the thing with your loved ones. You want to solve their pains, don't yeah. you? You want to stop those from yeah. happening. And maybe that's why it's it kind of affects you in that way. Whereas if yeah. you're going through it, you do. You just you would rather go after Green Mall, suck it out, don't you? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Deep breath and I'll have it yeah. now and you're more right. Yeah, it, that's it. It just doesn't work like that, does it? No, unfortunately no. not. No. no. But no, it's, 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 a, it's a point well made. I bet as a doctor, you, I bet it's heartbreaking sometimes when you're seeing it and it's like when you give the, the news or you mm. refer, and then just seeing that helpless parent mm. or that helpless loved one yeah. and thinking, your love for them is going to be the same now. And I bet they, they, have you had cases where it's, your day job was really affected. I'm, I'm hopeless. Um, you know, if I sometimes patients say, "Will you come to my funeral?" and I, I'm just hopeless. If I, I, you know, as yeah. such everyone else, and I, I don't, you know, I think that's just me. Yeah, I am. I'm a broad Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's just me. Yeah, it does. I, it's, of course, it upsets you. Um, and you know, it's how you because you you've got to work with the patient, their families to get the best outcome, whatever that may be for them. Um, it's hard work it's hard work and but like it's also a privilege mm. you know um you know and that's what you train to do um like i said at the end of the day you know working with people like in extremists because actually like i said actually the person in the eye of the storm often is rarely a problem it's the people around mm. um but you know i people are, are amazingly brave amazingly resourceful. as you said about your daughter remarkably resourceful and as you know from her perspective this is this is how she'll carry on mm. and um i think the same with people we, we know with life limiting illness 
um i think m- most people are you know are remarkably brave it's it's the people around them we were on a bit of epilepsy last week funny enough wasn't we yeah we were saying about like your daughter and there's so many different forms of epilepsy isn't there yeah and so many different uh seizures yeah and you're saying about your daughter saying about some she stares into space yeah, unless you're aware of it seizures, yeah yeah there's, yeah there's quite a few i mean was talking about suda i think i don't think that was I was talking about sleep and yeah. my lack of sleep because of worries like suda because that's yeah. that's you know one thing that um does happen and does happen far too often and there's no explanation for it mm. um and obviously that disturbs my sleep yeah. <laughs> as well as other things but yeah that's what it was about wasn't it really and and how could horrible you put, that side of it is bit of a, a, a bit more of professional because it's very common isn't it epilepsy in this country and very yeah. underfunded it's a lot more com- common than than i realized until i read some facts a, a couple of days ago and it's um there were three three diseases parkinson's motor neurons can't remember the last one but basically it's double the amount of people suffer with epilepsy than those three put together and that yeah. really surprised me because i thought parkinson's because Rightly so. There's a big um, movement regarding Parkinson's, yeah. and there's massive funding, something like £225 per person with Parkinson's, whereas epilepsy, it was £26 right. uh, funding going in towards epilepsy. But it, it just amazed me that there's that many people who suffer from epilepsy, uh, and you don't, because it's unseen the majority of the signs, like, you know, you're right. If it's well treated, you don't see it, do you? No, that's I mean, it. Someone who's got epilepsy who's well treated, you're not going to see their epilepsy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's, well, I'm not sure it's well treated or because my daughter's epilepsy, um, it's medi- medication resistant. Mm. So it's getting the right balance of medication, yeah. isn't it, for some, and it does, it, it does do it. And some children they just grow out of epilepsy. So it is that uh, that fact that you don't. Yeah, you see. I mean, you, you, I see kids get. I'm sure you've heard of febrile convulsions. Mm so they're really common so kids who get hot often under the age of two but maybe up to five they get a fever and that puts them at increased risk of having a fit um and they, they grow out of those virtually exclusively although you'll probably have you've had febrile convulsions you're at a high risk of having epilepsy later and this is one you see a child who's got a real temperature they may be what we call jittery they're a little bit shaky a little bit anxious but they're, they're not having a fit so yeah, febrile convulsions you tend to grow out of. Um, and then you're right, epilepsy often comes on through childhood and some people then grow out of it and it depends why they've got it. So for example, and this doesn't apply to children often, but you know, if you've had, got somebody with um, a brain abnormality, it could be after a head injury, it could be um, you know, all, sort, all sorts of traumas, leave scarring on the brain, that can act as a focus for epilepsy. So obviously you, you gather trauma through your life, so therefore that gets more, so you, epilepsy tends to get more common for those reasons. And then some people will grow out of them and then you get this really difficult thing of, do we stop the medication or not? Because of course you stop the medication, they have a fit, they can't then drive, they can't, and so they're going, well, my, you know, their, their job could be around driving, they go, well, I don't want to stop that. And you, So there, there is a real, it's, it's a really difficult area. Mm. And um, like I said, and most, most people with epilepsy are well treated. The medication does have side effects so you've got to be certainly um they can slow you up a little bit to begin with so you want to keep kids particularly on is the right as little as keeps them controlled without giving them too much medication and then there's an issue with um pregnancy on anti-epileptic medication with a lot in the press that uh with abnormalities 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you get pregnant on anti-epileptic medications, they've got really difficult decisions around ladies on anti-epileptic treatments in pregnancy. So yeah, and it's it's, it's probably as you realise the Cinderella area, you know, it's uh, probably and like it probably because quite a lot of people are fairly well controlled. But you're right, yeah. you do get treatment resistant epilepsy, and then you get into the clever deep brain stimulators and other bits and pieces for people who are very resistant. Yeah. rarely surgery sometimes you can do surgery for epilepsy yeah because your daughter sometimes has to rescue med- medication she has it, she at least once a week rescue meds yeah. um and she's also got a vns fitted and yeah. she's on three anti-epileptic drugs yeah one being a cbd oil um which is yeah. i think the only two people in the uk who prescribed it and she's one of them all right um, How, how's that gone absolutely fantastic to begin with yeah. really she was 100 seizures a day dropped to yeah under 20 different various seizures mm. but um as time's gone on she's um getting resistant to that as well right. she's also on another drug which is being trialed called um or in the last stage of trial, uh fenfluoramine right. which is an old weight loss drug yes that has been repurposed for epilepsy for her type of epilepsy should i say for Dravet syndrome so yeah it's um there's a lot going on and she's mm. unfortunately still still resistant to it but i've always said she's she's a happy little girl and really what more because she want and she won't have the worries that we have in life she's eight years old and has a mental average uh, 18 month year old mm. so she won't have the stresses and the worries uh, as we ever and, and basically as long as she's fed she's really happy yeah yeah you know she has a fulfilled life yeah so that's that's all we can hope for really as parents well, it's all for everybody isn't it yeah that's it that's it you know whatever potential you've got to achieve it and yeah enjoy what you're doing and you change your um talking potential you change so with my other two my eldest two kids their potential it's a different kind of potential isn't it like my daughter's achievements are absolutely amazing when she started standing up and and you know she at one point she was um fully tube fed on um oxygen full time mm. and she's got uh, never never at anything and within the space of two to three years now she's off oxygen unless she has a really severe seizure she eats just about everything and you just the yeah. you know crawling around and and that's a that's such a massive achievement but not not necessarily what other people would see as an achievement because most people take things like mm. that for granted. Yeah. Take things like granted, like I can stand up and walk. You mm. know, until you lose that ability, you take it for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's what, like, and that's important again. Back to the gratitude list because yeah. we used to have a support group in there. Yeah. And they go, uh, "What are you grateful? For? What am I going to be grateful for? Well, can you can you talk? Can you walk? Can you when you get to the toilet? Can you flush it away? Well, yeah. Well, imagine if one of those simple yeah. things were taken away. Yeah. It's not until like you've got a block toilet or you're hot water and you're thinking, oh God, it's them simple things that make all the difference, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, with men's men, um, men's health, because it's Movember now, yeah, isn't it? Hence, I've got my moustache on. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love him, sausages. Is it? Is that just lazing? Can't be bothered to Is that the irritating stage? Because they always laugh at me. They say, why, why don't you grow a big. I said, because there are rules. And the rules of around November are very simple. You have to start the month without anything. You can't grow a goatee. You can't grow a beard. I think that's about it, really. So you you, you actually can't get a fantastic handlebar moustache because I don't never let anyone can grow that in a month. So <laughs> I have to put it and then like it's it grows. Sounds like a challenge for you. That does care. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon he could. <laughs> and then you get this irritating phase where it is now, and then you start to develop behavioural problems. Yeah. <laughs> 
What do you think about them? Do you think it's a, a good idea? Do you think it's a gimmick? Do you think? I think it's great. Yeah, I think I it's. A, I said, blokes aren't great at doing things to blokes. November mm. um, actually is is great because it's men and women on. If you be on the website, it's it's for everybody. It's not just just for blokes. Um, I think it starts off as a focus on prostate cancer, yeah. uh, but if you look at that, it's very big on men mental health and testicular cancer as well. And not just those things, you know, it supports all sorts of other initiatives. So I think, I think it's a good thing. I think go, I mean, it's worldwide. Um, I just I think it's just fun. Um, I probably spot a lot of the rugby players the weekend. If you watch rugby, the rugby players are all, of course, they're only about 23 years old. So they're, they're growing, they're growing <laughs> their moustaches. And I just think it's a good thing for, for people to get together and have a, have a good laugh about it and raise some money for a good cause. I think it's typical of blokes, actually. Um, you know, ladies do things like their moon, you know, the moonwalk where they, go out and walk all night and stuff yeah. like that um so they're doing more making an effort to raise money for women's health what are us blokes doing we're shaving less well, yeah, we're just doing less to raise more <laughs> which i think is good because i mean look for blokes it's prostate cancer testicular cancer yeah and uh rectum cancer but uh and i think it, it's we need a what are the big signs and we men can also get breast mm. cancer can't we you can i mean it's rare remember i mean Yes, you can. I mean, probably less than one percent of breast cancer is in men. But What's that low? But yeah, but when you bear in mind how common common breast cancer is in ladies, mm. you know, they say one to six to one in eight women get breast cancer in their lifetime. So actually, it's not unheard of. I, you know, I've seen it once. I've, I've probably seen it once or twice in men in my time. Um, so it does happen, but it's very very unusual. Um, you know, the prostate. You know, classically, you know, old old men will come and see their GP saying, you know. I'm up three times in the night and the symptoms tend to run into one of two groups really some people get problems with um sort of blockage so stopping and starting becomes a problem so they may say you know i go to the toilet i stand there and i just can't quite pee and then i start peeing and i can't quite stop or i stop and then i dribble on a little bit so you get what i call obstructive symptoms um other people get irritability symptoms they'll say i just have to go um, and that's because the prostate gland sits at the base of your bladder and as it grows, as it grows as we get older, it starts to irritate your bladder. Your water pipe moves, it grows through the middle, through the middle of your prostate gland. So that's why you get the obstructive symptoms and then the irritation of the bladder is why you get the irritability symptoms. And some blokes get a bit of both. Um, so I think, and, and those symptoms are quite common as we get older. And I think, you know, if you're getting those symptoms, you ought to go and see a GP. Yes. Rarely you can certainly get blood in your pee because of prostate cancer. And again, you get blood in your semen if you have prostate cancer. So if you get those symptoms, I think, you know, as a rule of thumb, blood out of any way you can't explain, whether it's vomiting blood, whether it's coughing up blood, whether it's blood in your motions, blood in your pee, you should be seeking some advice on that. And then, you know, when we were saying earlier about it'll sort itself out. So mm. If you start seeing those symptoms. Yeah. Go and check. Well, yeah. my dad got diagnosed with it. I think it was started this year. Yeah. So I read up about it after that, obviously trying to educate myself a bit more. And it surprised me that how many men live with it, and it has absolutely no effect on their life. And yes. it's it's a lot more men live with it than he realised. I think because one thing I, I found out, and yeah, it's 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 not a death sentence because most people hear That's right. cancer and and it's. It, it is it is bad news, but it's, it doesn't have to be a death sentence, does it? Yeah. If it's treated. If it's treated. If, if it's, it's treated, yeah. yeah. And a lot of it's just monitored as, as well, monitored, isn't it? There's not, yeah. They don't actually treat yeah, it, it's just monitored. With prostate cancer, I think it's changed. I think So I think, again, when I was first a doctor, you asked what's changed. If you had a raised PSA, so that's a 
hormone produced by the prostate gland, if that's raised 20, 30 years ago, you often ended up having a biopsy, which is not a very pleasant thing to have done. And I think what's happened is that now we've got much better MRI scans. So what'll actually happen now is if you've got a raised PSA and it's and the gland feels normal, or even if it all feels abnormal, if it's abnormal, you probably you probably get straight onto a biopsy. If the gland feels normal, you now tend to get high a high intensities or MRI scans, have a good look at your prostate. If the prostate looks normal, you may want to say, we'll leave it alone. We just watch this for a bit. Um, and you're right. So a majority of men with prostate cancer die of something else. Why do they have hormone um, injections? What's that about? Because it's a bit, again, it's similar to breast cancer. In that breast cancer relies on female hormones to provide sort of, not nutrition, but you know, to, to stimulate the cells to keep keep uh, reproducing. So prostate cancer rel relies on the male hormone testosterone. Mm. So, um, so what happens is you're right, a lot of men with prostate cancer, they may have radiotherapy, they may have their prostate gland removed, um, or a majority of men will often end up having these hormone blocking tablets or injections, which um, basically remove the testosterone. So that, for the better word, that reduces the drive for the cancer cells to, to grow and spread. And it's the side effects of that, would you say? Just a bit more. Um, in sympathy with our ladies, um, very similar to the menopause, because what you actually do is you drive down, when a lady hits the menopause, mm. her hormones are obviously fall because of the menopause. Mm. So we kind of do the same to blokes. So you, you cause their testosterone levels to fall and reduce, and they will often complain of hot flushes, and um, they may get tender breasts with it. They, you know, they, they, they do get quite a few symptoms with it. So it's like prostate. So with testicular cancer, because, you know, they all say, like, check yourself, check yourself. But it's mm. something that we don't do enough, is it? Once again, it's, well, I'm a testicular infection. You get embarrassed about your bits, and it's, mm. well, it, is that normal? Is my imagination playing up, and, yeah. you know, but it, it's stuff that a bit of embarrassment could save your life, couldn't it? And it's not oh, even yeah. being embarrassed, because, quite frankly, in your 30 odd years, you've mm. seen I think it's the same for ladies, the same for men. The people who know your testicles best are you. Yeah. The ladies, lady, people who know their breasts best are often them. So I think there is self-examination in both those groups is really important. Um, and, you know, and for a chap, if we can be blunt about it, you know, a warm bath is a good place to, you know, feel your testicles and get to get to know what your testicles feel like, because we're all different. Mm. Um, and like I said, if you have pain, or a lump you're not sure about, then then pop in and see a GP, and you know they'll be in too happy to help you out. I mean, unlike the prostate glands, very very simple. If there's a query about a lump on a, on a testicle, we actually just do a scan, which is just an ultrasound scan. So it's not invasive, it's not unpleasant, and um, gives you an answer, you know, very very quickly. And 95% of the time, you know, most things aren't what you think it is. Most things are benign, but the important thing is get information. Are they the two big symptoms of testicular cancer, though? Lumps and pain? I think... Usually. Yeah. I think lumps, again, blood in the semen or blood in your, blood in your pee can be. Um, but, yeah, I think a lump is, is, is the major thing that you should look out for. Um, and the problem is that testicles, you do tend to get lumps on them anyway. Mm. So um, you've, if you, you've got the body of the testicle, the pipe works, so the blood vessels that supply the testicle you can often get little lumps of bristle and things in there. And that's why you need to examine yourself and get to know what you actually feel like. Um, and so like the majority of 
the majority of lumps that I see in testicles actually are cysts in that pipe work. But you only know that after the event. So if you feel you've got a lump, you should go and see a GP and, and get it checked out. And are they the two biggest cancers in men, testicular prostrate, or is it rectinal? Is that no, I'd say that in young men, so probably under 25, testicular is probably most common. Yeah. And old men, prostate is most common. I mean, you have other common cancers are lung cancer and colon cancer. They're probably the two commonest ones. There's a lot of skin cancer, but again, skin cancer tends to be, a majority of skin cancer tends to be not really life-threatening. Melanoma is, is a real problem, but a lot of skin cancer tends to be sort of, on the whole, fairly minor. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you're, like I said, prostate end of life and testicles, sort of, testicles in your sort of teenage to young adulthood, it's commonest cancer. And then the other biggest killer of men is suicide, isn't it? Yeah. And out of all of them, Suicide is one of the, probably the most easy to prevent. You know, it's a pandemic we can beat, isn't mm. it? I think suicides are really, really difficult one because I think what tends to happen with suicide is that people are in a position and they don't, you know, we talked earlier about seeking help, talking, sharing your problems. I just think men aren't very good at it. Mm. So I think the first thing is we're not very good at discussing their feelings and those problems we're having. I think the second thing that tends to happen with men is when they do something it tends to be quite, um, they choose violent ways of ending their lives. Mm. So they do it and therefore they end up not surviving the, the suicide attempt. And I, I think it's tragic. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of evidence that, you know, most people who commit suicide, male or female, have some contact with healthcare in the previous month. Mm. If they're under health, if they're under secondary care, so if they're under specialist services, um, you know, 70% of them have contacts in the previous week. So you're right, there is a degree of preventability about it. I think, I think but firstly, from the, the doctor's point of view, it's important you assess the patients. I think from us as blokes' point of view, it's about, I think sometimes those acts of kindness, just saying something, are you all right? Yeah. You know, um, and actually the, the chat might go, well, no, I'm not actually. You know, and it's just that asking that question. And that's, so I think, you know, the, almost these acts of kindness where you just say, someone looks a bit down at work or, you might just be sent out someone train, they just look a bit preoccupied. You say, Are you all right? How's today been? Nice weather, isn't that? And those sort of social interactions are reduced compared to you know when we were younger or when I was younger. So I think you know, so I think there's there's the professional side of it, there's the individual side of it, and there's a society thing. I think of just just being nice to people, you know, just saying, how's that for you? What what how are things going today? We count ourselves very lucky that we've got a, after signing up the podcast, we've got each other who we can talk to, yeah. now, don't we? And, and that's made a massive difference with both of us, hasn't yeah. it? That there's always someone there who you know is not going to judge, you know is not going to, you yeah. know. And I think everyone f- find someone who you can talk to about these things, whether that be a professional, whether it be we had Papyrus on the the um, radio last week, and if you're not comfortable talking to a friend or your partner or a family member, then try and find that that professional help people who are not there yeah. to judge you they're literally there to pick up your phone and listen yeah uh, it's so underrated that people just listening it's to just the, other yeah. people and noticing yeah and, and i think one of the things that i would remember i always remember from my medical training as they said you know if you get somebody with a problem it doesn't have to be suicide it could be alcohol anything if you lecture and preach and say this is a solution that actually turns them off and actually it's that it's the regular little contacts that make a big difference. 
So it, there was a, a big study that showed you actually was about giving up smoking. And they showed you could sit patients down and give them all the facts about smoking, which, of course, all smokers know. Mm-hmm. So you're not telling them stuff they don't know. Or you could say to them, you're all right, we thought about your facts recently. Well, how's, how's it going? Whatever. And they found that the little, quiet, gentle intervention was just as effective as the, you know, this is what smoking does to you. And I think the same applies to suicide. You know, it's that little, are you all right? Or how are you today? Or you don't seem your normal self. Or even in someone you don't know, you, know, you could be, you know, you could be sat in the pub having a pint and you go to the bar and someone, you know, how are you today? How's it going? And I was doing a, a course last week on exactly, exactly on suicide. And there's a very good story about a young lady um, who was actually working behind a till in someone like Wilco's. And somebody went in and bought a load of tablets. And the patient fed back. The lady behind the till said, are you sure you need all those? You're all right. And he said it just turned him around to actually go and make a difference and ask for some help. Mm. And so I think, I think you know, don't, those little acts of kindness, don't, don't underestimate them. And then the rush. Share them a bit. Yeah. Share them a bit. And I think, once again, like with the phones there, and yeah. if you ain't got your phone, you tend to clock someone, don't you? And I, yeah. When we go around an hour to uh, the girls, we were from my daughter, because I taught it. Mm. And because I'm not looking at my phone, I start looking around and I listen mm. to conversations and I'm check what she's wearing or bloody yeah. what they're on about dirty buggers. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you, but you're there. And yeah. you're a boss, you're okay. You, yeah. you look a bit, you, but otherwise, you're looking at your phone or yeah. don't make eye contact. You look down, but for God's sake, don't talk to me. Yeah. But when you have got nothing else to do, being kind becomes an option. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know, I like I like your watch. Where do you get that from? Well, that's nice, Blazer. Or yeah. something. And honestly, it works. Yeah, just, it's almost, you know, they say random acts of kindness. It's barely even kindness. Random mm-hmm. acts have just been civil to people. You just, just contacting people around you and getting that nervous thing. And they may just say, well, actually, no, I've had a bad day or I've lost my job or. Really well, they struggling. might just be appreciate being noticed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they might go home thinking, "Oh, you like my haircut? Mm. It's great." Yeah. I think it's important. Well, Doctor Steve, thank you ever so much for coming on today. That's been an absolute pleasure. We'll get you back on, but we always like to end it with: Have you any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? Um, quotes or sayings? Do you want amusing ones or anyone you want? Anything that pops your mind. There's one that's serious. Um, the most important things in life aren't things. I, I find that's really important. You know, so it's not it's not about what you've got. It's about it's about all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, one I always like is another one I like, which is serious. It wasn't serious. It's, it's good. Is you know all you all we will leave behind is our DNA and memories. So make sure those are good ones. And my favourite French saying is "pleur pleur tu piss around moi." When someone's crying of something, they shouldn't really cry. We'd say crying of a sp- spilled milk. The French say cry, cry, you'll pee less. <laughs> <laughs> so two serious and, and, and one lighthearted. That's the first French quote we've had on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great one. You know, it's the sort of thing you'd say to a child who's crying over they've dropped their ice cream or something. You know, it's, it's, uh, I just think it's, uh, you know, the French are good at many things and that's one of them. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been very great being here. No, thank you very much for coming on. So, guys, until we see each other next time, I want you all to take care of yourselves yeah. and each other. To all of it. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. 
There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen, listen.